It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. With an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Hey, James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Jessica will be sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 34 of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. Woohoo. Hey, how's it going, crew? Thank you so much, Jessica, for uh, hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're in our separate studios since we're uh, quarantined away. How are you holding up through all this? I'm I'm holding up all right. I'm uh, ready for it to be over, though. Ready to, I'm doing a lot more meetings than I've ever done, ever. <laughs> You're doing those on Zoom? Those yeah, meetings? on Zoom. Yeah, there, there's a lot. Like, I know uh, when it first started, uh, you know, James has a meeting that he and his wife and a couple other people in his fellowship uh, started in celebration Mm-hmm. And Dennis and I, I kind of like raised an eyebrow and I, I don't mean to speak for you, Dennis, but it's it was a different thing because uh, online meetings that I had done hadn't been as effective until that's all you have. And then you have to kind of make them work for you, you know, because I don't I don't know of any meetings that are actually still working in person right now. You know, I, I actually went to a meeting this past weekend that was outside there's maybe like 20 or 30 people everyone was like six feet apart outside in a parking lot and it was it was actually pretty good it was good to see people in real life but it was unfortunately it's like over an hour away it's like an hour and a half away in melbourne but it was a great experience james if you can introduce jessica oh sure yeah um, Jessica, thanks for uh, being on with us. Um, I've known Jessica probably around three years. Um, I, uh, I've never actually heard her story, so I'm excited about this. Um, I, I hear about Jessica a lot because she is uh, one of my wife's friends uh, who is um, what my wife calls a spirit sister. So I guess she's part of the family. And um, whenever I'm around her, she's always got this beautiful smile. And uh, she's always full of uh, light of the spirit and just uh, full of happiness. And um, I know she also works with Ashley, who was on um, our podcast last week. And um, I've heard her be referred to by Ashley as Ashley's most best friend. So um, I know they got a tight group going on there, and I'm all about it. They're happy bunch of women and um, I'm so excited that she's here to share her experience strength and hope thanks Jessica thank you uh, my name is Jessica I'm an alcoholic my sobriety date is February 5th 2016 my home group is primary purpose group we meet at noon Monday through Friday and my home group during this quarantine is spirit sisters big book study 
we meet on Thursdays at 8 p.m. And I hope that we continue to meet after the quarantine. Um, I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor. And she has a sponsor. And I sponsor some amazing, beautiful women who also, also sponsor women. Uh, so I'll go ahead and tell you what it was like. Um, from whenever I was a kid, I always, uh, well, I had this unhealthy kind of con uh, relationship with my mom. Like, a, like I just, she was my everything. And because uh, her and my father divorced when I was one. So it was just me and her. And, um, and I, and I guess I thought that things happened bad by surprise. So I used to worry about every possible bad thing happening to my mom um, so that it wouldn't happen. And that was like basically how my brain worked. So I was always just worried and a stressed out kid. And, um, and then my mom, oh, there's an echo, but my mom um, remarried a man and he moved us. I, we lived in New Jersey. He moved us to Florida and um, he became really abusive uh, verbally and physically. And, um, and I started to be filled with resentment and, and anger. And uh, I started to act out. I started to steal stuff and vandalize stuff. Um, but I wasn't like, I remember I had a friend who was trying to get me to drink and do drugs. And I, I remember I, I watched like a lot of after school specials and I, and then they always like died or something terrible happened to them. And I was scared, like not scared to die, but scared of what that would do to my mom. Because of, like I said, I had that, that, uh, unhealthy relationship or, you know, to her. So, um, I didn't do that. So I just kept acting out. And then one of my friends, um, said that she had a church if I wanted to go to church with her. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. I was brought up Catholic. I never, um, I didn't have a relationship with God. I just, you know, d knew some Bible stories and, like receive my Holy Communion and everything. But when we went there, they asked if anybody wanted to be saved. And I like nudged my friend, I'm like, what does that mean? And she's like, you get saved from your sins. And I was like, I want to, I want that. So I went up there and they prayed over me and like laid hands on me. And I felt this like feeling, uh, overwhelming feeling like of the presence of God and like all of my like worries and anxieties left me like immediately. And I was just like, whoo, like I felt good. And I was so excited because I like, I was like, well, I'm a Christian now, you know? And like the next day I'm like, are we going to, I want to go to church again. And I we went, I went the next day and, uh, this time it was different. This time they were, um, speaking in tongues and like spitting on the ground and, and it was, really weird and I and the lady pointed at me and she's like speak in tongues and and I was like I don't know what that means I I can't I was 10 and uh and then she said she proceeded to say that I was possessed by the devil and um they performed an exorcism on me for about two hours and um and I was freaking out and I was like it was a school night and I was like I have to go home it's a school night and then they're like okay fine you can go home but I'm just letting you know, if you don't get this devil out, you're going to die. And then, so I went home like petrified that I'm going to die. And I, and I told my mom what happened and she freaked out and she called him and she's like, you can never go there again. And, um, called the mom and yelled at her and everything. So, you know, that had that experience and that experience, like really it, it affected me it, because then 
the, my, my stepfather, the abuse got worse. He started to, you know, tell me I was worthless piece of, you know, and, and the abuse got much worse. And I started to just feel hopeless. And then I started to um, have a resentment towards my mom for allowing him to do these things to me. So then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try this, this alcohol and drugs. Like, I'm just going to see what it's like. And I did it. And it was similar to my spiritual experience. It, it gave me the feeling of like, I didn't have a worry in the world and everything was okay. And I could breathe finally. So I, I, I went with that and I went with that for a very long time, um, 15 plus years. Um, and it would, there was times where it worked really, really well. And, and I was at the top, you know, like in Bill's story where, you know, everything was, was wonderful. But then there was the times where it was really, really bad. And I, and the times that were really, really bad started to become greater and, and I couldn't get back to the good time, but I always thought that, that this time would be different. Um, I was started to you know, end up in jail, um, getting, getting arrested. I wound up getting felonies. I winded up, um, losing everything more than one time. You know, I had a, a great job as a, I got a job as a flight attendant, but that, that job, you know, included a lot of drinking and partying, which, which at the time I enjoyed, but you know, the, I just always was out of control. I didn't understand that I had, you know, the disease of alcoholism that once I had one, that it was a threefold disease, mental, physical, and spiritual. And that once I had one, I had to have more and, and it would just be off to the races. And I just, you know, I, in it, I was in and out of like, my parents would marchman act me. Um, you know, I would, I, I would hear all these things, but I couldn't like, I didn't feel them like at a visceral level. Like I didn't understand like that that was me. I, I just kept on thinking that I, I was okay and I could do this. And I just had to get to a place of complete and utter defeat where on the inside, I felt like I wanted to die. Um, and it took a long time for me to get there, you know, and I'm lucky that I didn't die in the process because I should be dead. Um, but I, I, when I was at that place, I cried out. Finally, I cried out, please God help me. And then uh, the next day my house was, raided and I was facing prison and I um, got drug court, which shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been an um, option for me. So in drug court, they make you get a, a piece of paper where you have to get the paper signed to go to meetings. So I was forced to go to these meetings and I went for about a year but I never got a sponsor and I never worked the steps. And then I was feeling like, but I didn't drink or use, but I was like, why do I feel like so horrible? Like I feel worse than I felt whenever I was drinking. Like this is terrible. And I didn't, I thought that it was the alcohol and drugs that was my problem, but I was like almost about to give up and be like, screw this. I'm just going to, you know, go do what I normally always do. But I was like, something in me was like, well, why don't you do what they're suggesting and, and get a sponsor and try working the steps. So, um, so I found a woman um, and she took me through the steps and the obsession was lifted from me. Um, and so in step one, I had to concede to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic, that there's nothing I can do in my power to keep myself sober. 
And I had to be honest for once about that because I always thought, well, you know, that maybe I could, you know, because if it wasn't one thing, it was another. Like if I would like switch from things like I would do, you know, it was alcohol or drugs or this drug or that or this type of alcohol. Or this, you know, it was always it's just my, I have a problem with that. I can handle this, but it's like I can't handle any of those things. So I had to concede to my innermost self of that. Um and I had to, for, then for step two, I had to lay aside my prejudices against like what those people had done to me because I had associated what they did to me as God, you know, not that they were people that were sick, you know, and, and by doing my, working the steps, I realized, you know, the people that I had resentments to were sick, but, um, and then all I had to do was express a willingness to believe in a power greater than myself and earnestly seek God. So, um, and in the beginning, all I had to do to do that was like to put my cigarettes under my bed to remind me to get on my knees and pray in the morning and just ask God to please keep me sober. And then for step three, and that this is the step that I must I have to do every day and throughout the day, because uh, I always try to take my will back. And I didn't re realize that I was selfish and self-centered. You know, I had to read pages 60 and 63. Sometimes I still have to reread that, you know, in the first person about how I try to run the show. And I know how when I run the show, how it usually winds up going is I wind up in jail or, or something terrible happens. So I had to um, turn my will over. And I always was seen to be do well under like in, in jails and institutions, because I think I feel like it was a form of step three because I wasn't in charge and I always, it always really went well. But then as soon as I was released and left to my own, you know, I, I, I screwed it all up. And then step four made us a uh, fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. Um, this step was easy for me because, um, because I was a victim. I always felt like I was a victim and I, there were so many people who wronged me and there's so many things that happened to me that I could easily write a list of all the people and, and tell you all about what they did to me. But then the fourth column, you know, what my part was, then I was like, wait, my part, you know, but then I had to also, you know, do, do the, the prayer that this man is sick and how can I help them and, and to see it from a completely different angle, because a lot of the things were from my perception, you know, that they weren't really the way that I thought that it went down is not really the way it went down. Like one memory that I always had was that um, my stepfather, he, I, I grew up in the eighties and there were, we had like the home video cameras, like the camcorder, you know, the big ones. And um, he would do home videos and I, he had two, uh, two other daughters. They were my sisters, but they were his, I was his stepdaughter. But um, I remember one time he was like make, doing a home video and I was, um, trying to be in it and he's like get out of the way like I'm I'm videoing them and I was just like oh my like I was crushed like I was like he doesn't love me like I can't even be in the home videos and um and I and I told this story to people like oh I wasn't even allowed to be in home videos you know like this this happened I think once and I made it into this huge thing and then not too long ago I was um doing of making a video of my 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 niece doing her first steps and my other niece tried to get in, in, in the video. And I was like, no, just move out of the way for a second. I'm just, I'm doing her walking. And then it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what he did to me. 
And I took that and I internalized it and made it like this horrible thing that he did to me. And, and that was what I did with most of most situations. And those were the things that I ran on as fuel as to if you had my life, you would, you would do what I do too. If, if you, you know, if you grew up the way I did, you know, and, and those things were my perception and doing my fourth and fifth step allowed me to see what the truth, you know, and, and to have that experience in my fifth step to, to share this with another woman. And we laughed and we cried and we, and we just spent this time together, like truly like revealing ourselves to each other in a way that I never had before. And I remember there was one thing that I didn't want to share and I wrote it like real small. And then she like read the part where, you know, if there's anything you've left out, you're sure to drink again. And I was like, okay, well, there's one thing. And I told her and she didn't make me feel like I was, you know, a piece of crap that I thought I was about it. She, she had a similar story and she's still, you know, she's still my, she's my best friend today, you know? So that's like, such, that's such a beautiful thing. And that's the way I feel when I work with other women working the steps, like doing a fourth and fifth step with someone, you, the things that they share with you, it's like, it, it reveals other parts of, of your truth that you, you didn't see before. And it's such a, it's such a spiritual experience. And I'm so grateful that I get to, to have those experiences. And then um, six and seven, you know, my character defects, you know, that's a constant work in progress and asking God to remove the things that block me from being of service to him and his kids. Like, you know, not just the ones that I want to get rid of, but the ones that keep me from, from being of service. And I'm always uh, having to, to ask for those to be removed. And then eight and nine, you know, that, that changed my life completely, you know, with, I was able to make an amends with my stepfather. And, and in that he was able to tell me that he was, you know, abused as a child and that he loves me and, and he never wanted to hurt me. And, and it just erased all of that pain that I held on to for so long. All of my reasons were taken away. And, um, and then I was able to, you know, monetary, monetary amends are the hardest because I want to do all the feel good ones, you know, but the, the monetary ones and those will be revealed the ones I forgot because God, God, God will bring them forth. And, but I, I realized that when I start to, to do that, you know, to, to, put it, even if it's just a little amount is that I'm making towards it, God makes a way and, and he always does. And I don't have, as long as I'm doing the next right thing and trying to, to right my wrongs, he's going to make a way for me. And then 10 and 11, um, that's something I have to do, you know, in order to not bring my, my pain into the next day. Um, I have, because now I've entered to the world of the spirit and I have to, act as if and um to continue to take personal inventory my um i have to you know sometimes i don't want to do like a nightly review because i'm tired but i know that if i don't don't i'm gonna have maybe wake up in a crappy mood and in my nightly review like sometimes i just want to be like um no i was i wasn't i was honest i don't have any resentments i'm good you know but that's i have to really sit there and pray and ask god to reveal to me was I, was I dishonest? Do I, what could I have done? But could I, I know you could have done something better, you know, and, and that, um, that makes, makes it for, for, you know, a a better, a better, freer conscience and a closer relationship with my higher power. Prayer and prayer meditation has like, is like everything to me today. 
And then step 12 is my absolute favorite, you know, and I, I, cause I get to go, I get to go into the treatment center that I was in and I bring a meeting and I get to go into the jail that I was in, which is like, I remember the first time someone asked me if I wanted to go into the jail, I was like, I think that would be awesome, but I don't think that I can because I have charges that they wouldn't allow it. And then he's like, well, here's an application, just fill it out and see what happens. So I filled it out and I like just prayed and I was like, God, please put me somewhere where I can help somebody. That's all I want to be able to do. And, um, and then I, I prayed like that and then for like a week and then they called and they're like, you were approved. You come, can you come in? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And so then I've been doing that and um, there's women that have come out of there that have called me and I've brought them to the steps and then now they help others. And, and that's like just such a, it's a, it's the feeling that I had been searching for that I could never get to the feeling that I, that I so wanted. And, and I, and I didn't know that, that it was as simple as working the steps and helping other people and building my relationship with God and being, being one with him and his, in his children. And um, it's given me a life that I never dreamed I could have. And I, cause I didn't think, I remember being like, well, I don't want to, like, why do I want to get sober? Like, I don't, I didn't like the way I felt before. Like, I didn't like the way I felt when I was a kid. I always was riddled with, with fear and anxiety and just not happy. So why would I want to feel like that? But I could, I was re, like, I've I definitely have been reborn and I have a new way of living and I am a new creation and, and I have like a new perception. Like I live in the same town that, that I hated. Like I hated that town. I, I was like, this is the reason why I drink and use is because of this town. And like today I stay there because I, I, I go into the same jail that I was in and let those women know that you don't have to keep coming here. There's a solution, you know, like that there's a solution to this, this misery. You don't have to feel like this anymore. And I, and I, and I didn't know that. And I just, I want people to know that, that there is a different life that, that all I have to do, I'm not unique at all. Like I'm the same, like all I did was what was outlined in the book of working the 12 steps and helping another alcoholic. And I've been given on all the promises have come true in my life. And I thought, I thought I was the hopeless case that I was institutionally incapable of being honest with others or myself. Like I didn't think I could ever get it. And, um, the fact that I have is, is, is such a miracle. And I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the fellowship and, and just this new, new way of life and how before I was always affecting like my family, like my mom, the only time she ever felt safe or not worried was when I was in jail because she knew that I was okay. But like now, like we have a relationship and I'm able to be there for her and like, you know, be of service to her and, and have relationships with my family and my loved ones. And, and it's, it's, it's so worth it. And for anybody who's new um, or, you know, hasn't been to a meeting before, I just want to, um, in, in a vision for you at the end, it says, or not in the end, in the beginning, it says there's a substitute for, for, for that. And it's a, the fellowship is an Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship and so will you. And that's, you know, exactly 
what it is for me. It's a, it's given me a host of friends that I never thought I could have. I never really had real true friends, you know, and, and today I do and they care and they, and we check up on each other and we love each other and we get to do fun things together, like go camping or go kayaking or, you know, just, just sit there and talk and laugh like a really at a gut level laugh, which for a long time I didn't laugh like that. You know, like I, I laugh so hard. I like, I'm going to cry sometimes over absolutely nothing. And that feels so good, you know, and, and, and I have had to deal with, with things and sobriety, of course, you know, but today I know that the feelings will pass and that the experience that I'm having is equipping me to be able to help somebody else that nothing in this world happens by mistake, that it's all in God's plan. And I just have to trust it and, and learn through it and use it to help somebody else. So that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Was that long enough? It was, uh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, sure. And and honestly, just the way, the way you're speaking, you can definitely tell, uh, you know, my first sponsor, said you know hey uh whatever you say you're obviously god wanted you to say Mm -hmm. you know and anything you didn't say obviously it wasn't supposed to be said for the people that are listening to the message right now you know that that just heard you so um you know i know the three of us got a lot out of it and just identifying with a couple pieces of it um the I grew up. Uh, I'm Mike, grateful alcoholic. Hi, Mike. I grew up Catholic, Hi, and uh, the relationship that you talk about not having with God at that point. It's funny how many other of my friends that I remember when I was confirmed. Um, the the priest at the time actually did his whole. I guess you'd call it a sermon or, or whatever. On now, don't get religious amnesia make sure you remember to come back after getting confirmed. And for whatever reason, it was just uh, my connection was lacking and it wasn't there. And I think it's maybe something that, um, you know, I know the the big book tells us that the uh, missing connectivity with God uh, is what made a lot of us go on the path that we did until you know, I'm grateful to have found the rooms and to have um, got right-sized, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, every single morning, just like you were talking about, pages 60 to 63, I actually, early in sobriety, I uh, my first sponsor told me, you should record yourself reading those, and every morning, listen to that message. So if you don't have the time to actually sit there, and, you know, at first, he recorded it and he sent it to me and it was on my phone. So I have pages 60 to 63 recorded and I listen to that and sit and pray and meditate and really appreciate making sure that, um, you know, I turn it over every single day. It's so important for me to do that and to not take my will back. Uh, and those, those moments are so important, Yeah, you know, because there are different, you know, every day there's so many forks in the road. And you don't know which one, um, you know, might be wrong until, or at least I don't until at the end of the night, I just make sure that, um, if there's anything I didn't see, you know, maybe was the wrong way to go or the wrong action to take or the wrong inflection. If I have a conversation with someone, um, I'm able to really appreciate that. And the last thing I wanted to bring up, 
uh, was when you were talking about that, the video and, and getting out of the way and how many of those things that I just, I ran my life on being a victim for many, many years and didn't realize until I sat down with my sponsor um, and did a fourth step where he said, well, you know, that could have been your part because there was a lot that I just had question marks on the last column because I didn't see my part in it. And he helped me see. And when I made my amends, I was able to, uh, you know, make a, a, a daily amends and really a lot with my own mother and father for not being there for certain things. And I became a parent two years ago and it's tough because you never know how someone's going to take something um, and how long they're going to hold on to it. Um, you know, and I, I guess it's, it's good to see. I know if I was new in the program and didn't get to step four yet, maybe I would be like, yeah, like how dare, how dare your stepfather do that? <laughs> and then once you actually get to see your part, it is, it's eye-opening, you know, and it makes you appreciate people for being flawed and know that, you know, um, to the best of our ability, we're just trying to be the best versions of ourselves we can be, you know, and to, to carry that message, I appreciate you, you doing that and bringing those meetings to, to jail and to sponsor those women um, and be that, that guiding light that I think, you know, I know that I needed early in sobriety and I'm sure we, we all did to get to the point we are today. Yeah, so thank, thank you. you so much, Jessica. Dennis. Hey, Dennis, hey, Dennis. alcoholic. Hey, Dennis. Um, thanks Jessica for sharing your story. I appreciate it. Um, I think like you mentioned early on about, uh, your like your living situation and your experience with church and stuff and how that kind of led you to a rebellious state where you decided to use drugs. Am I breaking up a no. lot? It's kind of cool. It sounds like Star Wars or something. <laughs> it does it. I'll just go with it. Luke, I am your father. So you mentioned early on about your living situation and your experience with the church and stuff and how that kind of opened, like sparked a little rebellion in you. And that's what you use, or that's what kind of led you to decide to start using drugs and drinking alcohol. And then when you tried it, you felt the relief. I, I can relate to that because like when I was younger, my situation was different than yours. But, like, it was relatively toxic, and, you know, I didn't feel loved, and I didn't feel like I belonged, and anything like that. So I was naturally, like, rebellious. You know, anything that was I told I wasn't supposed to do, I wanted to do. Anything I was told I should do, I didn't want to do. And when I did finally, like, when it was, like, 15 or so, when I started drinking and smoking pot and stuff, I kind of had that same feeling where I felt like relief like oh my god like nothing else in the world or in my life mattered at that moment you know it made it all go away and then I like hung out with a group of people that like I felt like I belonged to something or whatever um but of course unfortunately as life went on and I my alcoholism addiction and stuff got worse that all changed 
flipped backwards to where I was isolated and I, you know, I had all the weight on my shoulders and my life and no longer did what it did at the beginning. And then it wasn't until I came in Alcoholics Anonymous where that kind of flipped again, you know, where I found a place where I belonged, in myself, I felt love, and a lot of the weight of the world started being lifted off my shoulders and stuff. Um, also, like you mentioned, when you went over the steps and you got to step three, you kind of touched on like 63, 64 or whatever in the, the actor scenario where you know if like i'm playing the director and if anyone would just do what i wanted to do life would be perfect or whatever um when i when i got to that step my sponsor made me write out um that whole section in first person like hand write it out where i was like you know, I am the director. If people just did what I say, then everything would be great. Can't they see that I want this? And, and it was very eye-opening for me, like putting it in that first perspective in, in, in the sense that, like, a lot of my life, I felt that way. I thought that way. You know, it's like everyone, whether it was work or friendships or relationships or whatever, it was always like those people are doing it wrong. You know, they do it the way that I see it. Do it like can't they see that I'm unhappy? It's like they need to do what I do. And then, you know, it's a very selfish, self-centered point of view. But it's just the way that I thought most of my life. And then, you know, even now, kind of like how Mike just touched on is like I gotta have that surrender every day. Like I. We'll be going out through the day and a situation pops up or anything. And all of a sudden, like I'm consumed with what I want and what I think it should be. When the reality of the situation is that I don't have control over it. And it's not, most of it's not even in my business and stuff. So I have, I have to surrender like some, sometimes on a minute basis, an hourly basis or whatever, but at least like every day and remind myself that, you know, I'm not in control. I'm not the director. Like things are going to happen and it's, I have to just worry about how I react to them and, you know, give it to God in a way. Um, I also like how you touched on a vision for you. I, I like that chapter because to me, it's like the most hopeful chapter in the whole thing. You know, you read throughout like, okay, this is the problem. This is how it works, what we do. And then a vision for you, kind of like, especially the passage that you quoted, like, you know, there is hope. Like, life will be different, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a hundred times better. And I and I find that that is true, even if I don't see it every day. You know. But again, thank you very much. I thank really you. enjoyed your story. Thanks, Dennis. Um, on second, <laughs> you're on welcome, second thought, James. We might have to re-record you all over again, Dennis, at a later time. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't like my robot? Oh, we didn't hear a thing. I, I, I tuned you oh, out halfway through. That's right. It wasn't important. <laughs> it wasn't important oh, anyways. I heard what I needed to hear. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Which was nothing. <laughs> All right, Jessica, thanks again for coming on. This has um, been a, a real treat to hear your story. You know, it's cool to, you know, get into someone's backstory and, and see and what it took for them to get sober and not only to get sober but to have a complete cycle change and, 
you you in your story you know just told it so well with, with such hope uh, such a beautiful um picture of what it was like what happened and, and what it's like now and you know i i heard a lot of just happiness and joy and um solution in your share i thank you i i could really um connect when you said when you were very small like tiny that you, you started worrying when I was little um, for like just I had this overwhelming feeling of I was never going to have enough I never had enough and whatever I had I wouldn't keep it so I was just worried about that instead of being happy with what I had and um, so from early on age I remember being like that I, I thought it was fascinating how you you came to Christ one day and you felt that that spiritual experience and all this love, you know, and then the next day you saw the other side of the church, which was, mm -hmm. you know, the fire and brimstone. Like you saw like the whole picture of what the church has been like for hundreds of years in two days. And that was just yeah. at a 10 year old age. I was like, wow, what, what a lot for a little child, you know, that's just mm -hmm. amazing to me. And I was kind of, for me, it was, I went to a church early on too, and I same way. I just knew a bunch of Bible stories. I didn't know, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And um, after a while, my parents and my family stopped going to church, and then it was just in the background. You know, it was, there might be a God. Who knows? I have no part of it. Um, it was uh, really cool to hear you talk about that. I, I loved how um, you incorporated the steps um, in your story. Um, because that's, you know, that's the key to this whole thing, to go through those steps, to have a spiritual experience, and then, and then not only, you know, do the steps once, but redo them in your life on a daily basis. I loved how you said you do step three daily, I do the same thing, you know, because I am taking my will back all the time, and mm -hmm. I have to remember that, you know, in order not to have chaos and conflict in my life, I need to just stop be still, ask God for an intuitive thought, and an inspiration will come. And it won't always come right away, but if I, you know, stop talking and stop being a dick, I'll, you know, I can come out of myself and, and be a, a good, useful member of society. And lastly, I just wanted to touch on the fellowship. Um, I, I love, you know, having a group of guys that I can count on, that I call my brothers, that mm. keep each other in check and that you truly care about, you know, just, and you can go and do those fun things. You can do it without getting drunk, getting high. And that, that roar, belly, the roar yeah. from your belly, the, la the laughter, you know, and that's mm -hmm. so intoxicating. I love that so much. It's just, it's such a great way to live. And the, the promises, you know, they do come true. Yeah. Thanks again. I really appreciate you. Thank appreciate you for you having me. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope of you on episode 35, where the defective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, God Logan? could and would if you were sought. And we'll see you next time.